few weeks ago we started with you a little series on the metaphors of the church in the New Testament. We've considered already the church as the bride of Christ. We've considered the church as the body of Christ. And I have never known, and I want to reiterate this again today, I have never known a Christian who was spiritually healthy who discarded uh, their identification with a local church and with the church of Jesus Christ. I met a, an individual last week in, down in Carrick and I was asking about a certain person and they told me, oh, they no longer believe that you go to church. Well, where are they with the Lord today? Such people are nowhere with the Lord. The church and the Christian go hand in hand. As we understand, as we've been trying to emphasize in past weeks, when God saves a sinner, it's not just a personal matter. I think as part of fundamentalist Christianity, we have emphasized so much the personal relationship with God. We have forgotten we've got a broader relationship. We're in a family. We're part of a family. We're part of the family of God. We're no longer just individuals. We're part of a bigger, larger number. One of the most familiar pictures of the church in the New Testament is that of a flock of sheep. That's very familiar for us up in Round Morn. And it's a metaphor that resonates down through the centuries and the passing of the ages. And, and like all of those pictures in the New Testament that we've considered and will consider, God willing, they're all rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. One of the first prophecies concerning Christ is found in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 24. And this was the dying word of Jacob to Joseph. And he said, by his bow abode, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Here we have a wonderful designation of Christ. Christ is the shepherd. He is the shepherd of his people, Israel. Most of us were brought up, I think, in our Presbyterian backgrounds with the words of Psalm 23. We love to sing those words, the Lord is my shepherd, the wonderful metrical version that we know and love so well, the Lord my shepherd I'll not want, he makes me down to lie. And we can say that the Lord is my shepherd. I remember standing at a gravesite many years ago when I heard an old minister preach on the personal pronoun of the opening verse of Psalm 23, and it has stuck with me all of those years later. The Lord is my shepherd. What a difference that makes. Can you say today, really, from the very depths of your heart, he's mine, he's my shepherd. We can say, if we are enabled by grace to say, the Lord is my shepherd, we can go further then with the words of Psalm 100. The old 100th Psalm, the metrical uh, uh, translation again. Know that the Lord is God indeed, without our aid he did his make. We are his flock. We are his flock. He did us feed and for his sheep he did us take. Those are wonderful words. He's my shepherd and we're his flock. It's not just you as an individual going to heaven. 
You're going to heaven as part of a flock. As part of a bigger number. This imagery of God's people as a flock, it takes us right the way back, if you trace it, to the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. This was the church in the wilderness. We've looked at this many times in the past. There are many people will argue with me. There was no church in the Old Testament. Well, I don't know what Bible they're reading because I read in the New Testament about the church in the Old Testament. Remember Stephen in his great defense just before he obtained the martyr's crown. He said he brought them out after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. And this prophet that they were going to hear the Bible, Stephen said, Acts 7, 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Asaph, when he wrote about it, he said in Psalm 77, verse 20, he said, Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That church in the wilderness, the psalmist said, it was like a flock. And it was led by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. A few weeks ago we considered again those great words of Ezekiel chapter 34. In the midst of all of the dire predictions of sin. Ezekiel prophesied of the coming Messiah. And how did he see him? Well he saw him as the shepherd saviour. Ezekiel chapter 34. Time and time again uh, this imagery is used. In the New Testament scriptures. He's our shepherd. We're his flock. We're his flock. Three times over in the New Testament. There, uh, Christ is presented to us. As the shepherd. And he's always presented as the shepherd. In relationship to the sheep. If you say today. The Lord's my shepherd. You can't divorce yourself from the flock. And that's what many Christians are doing today. Oh, they say, I love Jesus and I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm going on my own. I don't know. I don't know what theology you've been studying or reading or what Bible you've been studying. But if you belong to the good shepherd, you're part of his flock. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. What, a, what a, a revelation this was. The, the Pharisees and the scribes, they said they were the, the shepherds of the religious people in Israel. You can read all the context in John's Gospel, chapter 10. But what did Jesus say about them? He said they were hirelings. He said they were strangers. He said they were only in it for the money. And when danger and, and uh, difficulty came along, they would quickly run away. They were thieves. They were robbers. They, they fleeced the flock. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And how do you know the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd sacrificially is the genuine one who will lay down his life for the sheep. What instruction there is there for us. This idea of Christ as the, the shepherd, it's found also in Hebrews 13, 20 and 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. 
John 10, 11, he's the good shepherd. That's in reference to his death. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13, he is the great shepherd. That's in reference to his resurrection. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and 4, he's the chief shepherd. And that's in reference to his second advent. He's coming back again. Now, I don't know whether we'll get to all those references today or not, but we'll, we'll, as always, next week in the will of God, time is limited this morning, but we're going to look, first of all, at the good shepherd in John 10, verse 11, and his relationship to the salvation of the flock. I think that's just wonderful. Jesus came as the good shepherd to save an elect number. He came to save his flock. He came to save his sheep. And when Christ said he was the good shepherd, he was, in other words, setting himself forward preeminently as the shepherd who was above all the other shepherds. And we've gone right with you to the book of Genesis today, how all that imagery is traced right down, the historical books, the poetical books, the prophetical books, right throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we have Christ as the shepherd. And here again, we have Christ as the shepherd. But he says, I'm before them all. I am the good shepherd. This was a clear statement. It was a clear statement concerning his deity. Because the Jehovah of the Old Testament was the good shepherd of the New Testament. I grow weary with people who tried to divorce uh, the New Testament from the Old Testament and they say the God of the New Testament is somewhat different from the God of the Old Testament. What a, what a blasphemy that really is because the Jehovah of the Old Testament is revealed as the good shepherd in the New Testament. They're one and the same. And this good shepherd, he comes to this flock and on along again today and he says to you in the gathering, he said, I am the good shepherd. Do you know me? This phrase that we find here in verse 11, that he, he giveth his life for the sheep, it is variously translated, just simply means, well, he lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. It was done willingly. It was done voluntarily. He was not forced to do it. He was not coerced into do it. He came from heaven's glory, from the throne of the Father. And he came to the scene of time. And he took upon himself bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He became one with us, yet without sin. And he laid down his life for the sheep. There had been other shepherds, of course, <clears throat> who have put their lives in jeopardy because of the sheep. We think about David in the Old Testament scriptures and his brave actions. How, remember, he, he was telling King Saul how brave he was, even as a stripling lad. He was only in his teens, we reckon, at that time. And in 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36, we read, David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. The devil loves to take the lambs. I want to reiterate that again today. He loves to steal away the youth. He loves to steal away the young people. And he's doing it, brethren and sisters, right under our very eyes. So there's a battle going on here. Uh, and David said, I went out after him. 
You know we can't allow the devil to come in and take away the youth and the young without going out after them. We have to go and seek them. We have to go and search them. We have to go and recover them. So we, David said, I went out after him and smote him. And I delivered it out of his mouth when he arose against me. And I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. This was close combat, wasn't it? He caught this lion by the beard. He could smell his breath. He was so close to him. And sometimes that's like spiritual combat. It's so close in the battle. It's as if we can... Uh, smell the very evil that's round about us. We, we know what's going on. And thy servant also slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. This is a brave young man. The ordinary shepherd might well lose his life in looking after the sheep. But there was none before or since he ever came unwillingly, voluntarily, Gave his life for the sheep. If in the ordinary turn of events a shepherd did lose its life in looking after the flock, it would normally have meant disaster for the flock. Imagine the shepherd being killed and the lion and the bear coming in. Now the whole flock is going to be destroyed. That's what would have happened. But Jesus came and Jesus gave willingly his life for the sheep. And by his death the sheep live. That's the difference. The life of the flock was secured by the death of the shepherd. Oh, what love did the Savior have for the sheep of his pasture in that he died for them. Notice the emphasis in John 10. Verse 15, 17, 18. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Not for the goats. He laid down his life for the sheep, the flock that had been given to him by the Father. He said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. When Jesus was on the cross, he gave up the ghost. It wasn't taken from him. He was in control right to then. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. Life will be taken from you and me one day. No matter how valiantly uh, you will fight to retain life, one day it will be taken from us and we will be powerless in that hour and in that moment. But Jesus at that moment was in total control. He laid down his life. The cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ was not something he was co coerced into doing. It was something that he voluntarily undertook to do. It was a work which he undertook to do for his sheep. Here we're taught something concerning the extent of the atonement. This little preposition for, always note the, the prepositions in the Bible. It shows us that the Lord Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for the benefit of the sheep. And his death <coughs> was the means whereby they were going to be saved from death and destruction. We, we often 
think at this season of the year, I think rightly so, of the first advent of the Lord Jesus coming in the incarnation in the flesh. But across the manger was the shadow of the cross. Jesus came to pay a ransom. And that ransom was his life, was his blood for the sheep that the Father had given him to save. The price was not paid for the goats. It was for the benefit of the sheep, that elect number. That number known only to God. But for that number Jesus suffered and he bled and died. And when he was on the cross, he had upon him the guilt, the shame, the punishment of the sheep. Of that elect number. John 6, 37, he said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I've often used that verse, John 6, 37. We love that latter part, don't we? Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What a gospel promise that is. But you have to go to the first of the verse to look before you get to the second part of the verse and the first part of the verse says the only ones that will come are those that have been given all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh those that were given I will in no wise cast out that's the teaching of scripture it's the uniform teaching of the bible in Acts 20 verse 28 Paul is talking to those elders of the church at Ephesus. He knows his, his time is with them is very limited. He hasn't very long to spend with them. And, and so in John's gospel, in Acts chapter 20, 28, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. To all the flock. To all the flock. This is the church of God which he's purchased with his own blood. There is nothing that that good shepherd doesn't know about his sheep. He knows you today. I know my sheep, and he says, they know me. He knows their number. We don't know the number, but he knows their number. The New Testament gives us representative numbers concerning the flock over which Jesus as the shepherd had the care. We read in Matthew 18 and verse 11, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then Jesus told that parable in verse 12, how think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? In ancient times, flocks were measured by hundreds. Hundreds were like, that was the counting blocks. They were, they were measured by hundreds. And the shepherd's flock would not be complete until they were all gathered in. And that great flock for which Jesus died, it has not all yet been gathered in. The Lord knows the exact number. And I am assured of this today. Not one of them is going to be left on the mountains, wild and bare and far from the shepherd's tender care. They're all going to be brought in. He knows their names. The name always stands for personality in the Bible. 
in John 10 and verse 3, if you go back there, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. The picture here is given of a penfold into which these sheep would have been put in at night and various shepherds would have brought their, their flocks to this fold and in the morning the door would have been opened and the shepherd would have called his sheep and his sheep would have followed him and then somebody else's sheep would have followed them. They knew the name, they knew the voice of the shepherd. They knew he was speaking to them. He knows their name. He knows you today. He knows your personality. He knows the very hairs of your head. They're all numbered. In providence, he's looking after every one of us. Every tear is treasured up, the Bible says, in the vials of heaven. Every anxious thought is taken care of. He knows what you're thinking. He knows their natures. The Bible says in Romans 8, whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Now, that tells me something very marvellous. He knew all about our twisted natures. He knew all about our sin. He knew all about our failures. But he still, in that great covenant of grace, set us aside. He did predestinate. What a comfort. But despite knowing all about us, the Bible says he still called us. He still called us. Shall we fall short because of our sin? Yet we often do. We often fall because of our sin or shame or failures. But I just take encouragement. The Bible reassures me. That he who has begun that good work, he will complete it. He'll not let us go. I used to visit an old lady in Carrick many years ago. She was a convert of, of W.P. Nicholson. She knew the Bible and she knew the Bible's Lord. She used to tell me many, many times uh, about the disciples getting into the boat. You know, the older you get, the, you tell the same stories time and time again. And undoubtedly, I'm the same. So you, but if they're good stories, it's okay. She told the story of the disciples getting into the boat and halfway across they came across a storm oh, they've been in storms many times on that sea of Galilee but now they started to fear and quake and panic and they thought they were going to sink ah I can hear Vera Greer yet saying did those men not know that Jesus was getting them into the boat to take them to the other side not leave them to drown halfway across they not leave us halfway across He'll take us the whole way. He knows about the needs of the, the sheep. There are many needs represented here today. Those of, you know, those of you who keep sheep and have kept sheep will know that there are so many different needs within a one flock. And he knows the needs of all of his people. He, he knows today the spiritual needs. He knows today the physical needs he knows today the emotional needs he knows today the financial needs today he says i know mine own i know mine own every parent every good mom every good dad 
knows their own, knows the personality of their own. And we have a, a good shepherd and he knows his own and he knows you today and he knows your need today. I, Jesus says, I know you. I know you. I know your need today. And because I'm the good shepherd, I can meet your need. Not wonderful. If you were to tell me all of your needs going out through the door, <clears throat> I couldn't even begin to comprehend them all. I couldn't carry them even to the front door. And he says to you today, you come and you cast all of your care upon me. All of your need. You bring them and you tell me about them. You cast them upon me. What a shepherd we have. The Saviour taught that the work of laying down his life for the sheep. It was the means of gathering the lost ones in from all over the world. He said to those Pharisees in John 10 and verse 16. He said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now he was addressing uh, the Jewish elite. He was, he was addressing the, the religious leaders of his day. Uh, and he says, I have other sheep other than just of Judaism. I have other sheep. And those sheep are to be found everywhere. The shed blood of the lamb was the means that was going to bring them into the fold. And I am glad from the very depths of my soul today that the good shepherd has reached this part of the vineyard here in Analog. And he's gathering in his sheep, his lambs, into the fold. And what a gathering is this type of Christ's pasture. If you're a Christian today, you're part of his flock. And he has brought you into the fold. And you're with other sheep. And, and yes, sometimes sheep, they, they, they quarrel. Sometimes they fight over a blade of grass. There might be a whole field of grass for them to eat. But they might dunt each other just to get to that one little patch of grass. And they might do all types of things. But they're under the care of the shepherd. And we're from all different parts. We put the missionary map up again in the upper room. And you just go up there and, and look at what a mixture even just to be found on one church notice board. We have Nepalese, we have Mexican, we have Kenyan, we have Spanish, we have Australian, we have Liberian, we have American, we have Asian, we have Irish, and we have British. And that's just a small sample, just a small sample of what the Good Shepherd is doing, gathering in his sheep from all over the world. I want to ask you today, have you been counted in? We love to sing that hymn here and on along, counted in, counted in. But have you been counted in? Maybe you're the 99th one and you're still not counted in. If you have not trusted Christ as your saviour and entered in through Christ the open door, then you're still not saved. But we, we love to use those words and, and sometimes we fail to understand the true meaning of them. When Jesus said, I am the door by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. What a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing it is today to say through grace, yeah, I'm, I have been saved. 
I, I know and love the shepherd as my saviour, as my lord, as my all. I've entered in. I'm saved. Now can you tell me that today? Because if you can't, you haven't been counted in. But yet the door's still open. He hasn't closed it. And he's asking you, will you not come in? And trust me today. I'm the saviour. I am the only one who can save you, Jesus said. But if you come to me and trust me today, today you can't be saved. I thank God for this wonderful picture of the church presented to us as a flock of sheep. But the flock without the shepherd is nothing. And so the shepherd comes again. And he wants to enfold each one of us in his love, his mercy, in his grace. Don't reject him. Dear Christian, today draw closer to him. Make sure your walk is step by step beside the shepherd.